Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are now midway in our third season, and we are still just as excited as ever to continue to help you explore and understand that unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive health and gut health, cancers, lung, heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts and guests for today's show on Earth Day 2022. The theme of which for this year is invest in our planet. And today we want to explore investing in our planet for better lung health. What do we need to do this? How do we need to do it? And why do we need to do so? In other words, how can we invest in our planet in order to get the dividends of better lung health? Now, lung disease and disorders affect the lungs, and those are the organs that allow us to breathe. So no other case needs to be made about why we're talking about this, why we all should care, or in fact, why we all must care about what affects our lungs and what impacts lung health. Now, the American Lung Association, our country's premier institution that's looking after our lungs by researching and speaking up for all of our lung health, they say that investments in addressing climate change and ensuring clean air are the key. They say that investing in the transition to zero emission vehicles and heavy duty equipment is important as well as increasing public funding to hurry up with the transition of uh, heavy-duty vehicles, uh, emissions, including school buses, that many people just don't realize, even though it's in front of their face all the time every day, that's a great source of pollution for our kids. School buses, as well as those cars that usually hang out in the semicircle in front of the school waiting to pick up our kids. They also say that supporting the nationwide transition to electric vehicles by accelerating the investment in our national charging infrastructure is important, as well as reducing the emissions from our ports and those heavy cargo trucks and 18-wheelers and all of that transport infrastructure that we all pass by every day is important. The next certainly important thing is to invest in clean non-combustion renewable energy. And here they suggest or say that we really must set a national clean electricity standard. You know, just like we have other national livability type standards concerning food and air and other aspects. And that we should certainly place health and equity at the forefront. And they define what we mean by clean energy. Here we're talking about wind energy, solar energy, geothermal, and other renewable, and the key here is non-combustion renewables. As I always say on, on our show, the key here is anything that burns, it's combust, and that's stuff and pollution going up into our airways. 
And we're actually going to talk to someone later on. Our expert today is from the American Lung Association. Now, I also found it interesting that our country's leading medical association with more than 16,000 members that are dedicated to the prevention and to the fight for respiratory disease, it was interesting that they named air pollution among the top things to reduce in order to increase global lung health. And these folks are our lung doctors and other respiratory-related medical folks. They're in the medical field talking their primary issue is health, as is the American Lung Association. But again, I think that goes to show just how important environmental issues and impacts are to our health. Now, with this medical association, they call for essential actions to reduce the burden of respiratory disease and improve global health, including improving the awareness by the public, you and I, as well as the lawmakers, that respiratory health is vital. And they pinpoint here childhood respiratory disease and its long-term impact because it eventually gets to the adult. They also say essential is the reduction and then the elimination of use of all tobacco and smoking products. It's bad internally, but also externally with that combustion, i.e. the smoke going into our airways. And most importantly, they advocate for us to adopt and adhere to the World Health Organization standards at a minimum to reduce ambient air pollution. And that is, they're talking about there, the air that's all around us, outdoors, that's being emitted all around us by industry, by our houses, by cars and trucks, as well as to reduce indoor air pollution and occupational air pollution for all countries. So again, we've got the health professionals beating this drum for taking better care of our environment are really showing us and pinpointing us why it's not an option, it's a must. Now, this is a lot. So here to help us explore and unpack some of this today is Laura Kate Bender. And Laura Kate is the National Assistant VP for Healthy Air at the American Lung Association. At American Lung, Laura Kate leads the Healthy Air Campaign. And there she directs advocacy initiatives in Washington, D.C., as well as working in multiple states with broad groups of national public health and medical organizations. And prior to joining uh, the American Lung Association, Laura Kate worked as an organizer on clean air issues for Environment America. Now, the American Lung Association, in case you did not know, <laughs> they are the leading organization working to save lives by improving lung health and preventing lung disease, and they do that through education, advocacy, and research. And the work of the American Lung Association is focused on defeating lung cancer, championing clean air, and improving the quality of life for those with lung disease. Welcome, Laura Kate. Did I get all of that right? You did. Very kind introduction. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for making time to be with us. And Laura Kate, it looks like that your entire career has been spent in air quality related work and issues. Pretty much. I am fortunate to have studied to work in advocacy and organizing and gotten to do that as my job, which is a passion of mine. I can tell, and, and we are just blessed, too, that you can be with us today to try to help us unpack some of this. Now, the American Lung Association released its State of the Air 2022 report recently. So can you tell us what's the purpose of this report and how long you guys have been putting out this annual report? 
And what was the impetus to get y'all started doing this? Absolutely. Thanks for the question. Yes, so we just put out our 2022 State of the Air report. And this report is an annual look at ozone and particle pollution nationwide. And what we do is we actually give letter grades to counties across the country for their levels of those pollutants. And we rank cities and counties across the country for how much ozone and particle pollution they're experiencing. And the impetus for this report, you know, the Lung Association obviously cares very deeply about reducing air pollution. And so I, I chatted with some colleagues because it was before my time, but we have a lot of longstanding staff, um, which I think is a good sign. And what they shared is that we used to do reports on specific populations and how many of them were exposed to unhealthy air. So for example, how many kids with asthma are exposed to unhealthy levels of particulate matter. But where we really hit the jackpot in terms of translating this information in a way that made the public care and understand and want to act was when we made it a report card, actually assigning letter grades and ranking those places. And so, you know, as you mentioned, year 23 of the report and back in year one, the first state of the air, um, we didn't have a fancy website. It was just a PDF available for download. And we put it out and it actually was so popular that it crashed the website. Oh so it was, yeah, it was, you know, definitely more interest than even we anticipated because I think, you know, we really hit on something that helps people connect to their air quality and why it matters. Now, two things. When was American Lung Association started? And tell me again when you started that report. Yes, so we are more than 100 years old. We are the nation's oldest voluntary health organization. And state of the air, this is its 23rd year. Oh, my. Any sense of when you had that first uh, little report, as you (laughs) described it, and it crashed the website, what was driving that? I think that people connect with information about their local air quality. We have a lot of good information nationwide from a lot of good sources about the overall burden of air pollution on health, same today with climate change. But when people have something that shows about their county or their city, that's pretty compelling. Yeah, what's kind of what's in it for me. And, and we attempt to do that somewhat with what we do here at Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, is showing people what's in it for them in terms of caring for the various environmental issues that affect our, our lives. And of course, what's in it for them is, is better health. But the key is education and informing them because much of this stuff, all of this stuff, is all around us in our faces. Absolutely. We don't know about it. We don't see it or just are not aware. So thank you all for for doing that. Okay, we're going to go to break, after which we will come back and you can tell us more about your work and about this exciting report. Thank you. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com.
Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. To today's show on Earth Day 2022, Investing in Our Planet. And we are back with Laura K. Bender with the American Lung Association. And she's telling us about their recently released State of the Air 2022, which is their 23rd such report. Again, thank you for making time to be with us today, Laura Kate. Thank you so much for having me. So before you were telling us, you know, about how long the report had been around and the impetus for it, one of the things that you mentioned I want to reiterate and ask more about, so that it gives counties letter grades. And that, and as you mentioned, too, that seems to really draw in people or make it more meaningful for people. So it's always been that you gave counties letter grades. And do you cover every county in the U.S. or some counties or what? How is that? That's a great question. So our report looks at two pollutants, ozone and particle pollution, and we do that based on data from the Environmental Protection Agency's monitoring network. So it's a U.S.-focused report, um, and our data comes from the EPA official monitors. Why that's important is that there's not actually a monitor in every county, so we can only share air quality data for those counties that have monitors. Now tell us, um, monitors, are those people or machines? Or great question. Between? Um, so we are talking about a big piece of machinery. Okay. Um, it takes different types of monitoring equipment to monitor for the different pollutants, but essentially the Environmental Protection Agency um, works with and funds states and other um, localities to monitor the air quality and report that back to the monitoring network. So you don't really, you're not able to, to cover every county or... Yeah, so what EPA is doing with this network is they're really trying to get a national picture that covers the most population possible. Now, we would like to see more monitors, and it's one of the things that we advocate for, because if you live in a community with no monitor, you might be a part of a larger metro area that does have monitors. So in that case, you do have access to information about your community's air. But if you don't, so for example, a lot of rural communities, you may not have official data um, on whether your air is safe to breathe. So it's, it's one of the things that we advocate for. But in the meantime, we are able to use this data to get a really good snapshot of the air quality nationwide. Good. So what other kinds of things does the report look at and what were the major findings for this year's report? Yes. So I'll do major findings first. And actually, okay. before I go any further, I will <laughs> let folks know that if they want to dig in, they can go to lung.org SOTA. If they go to the website, you'll find that there is a zip code lookup. You can look by county. You can look by state. So we really tried to make it accessible so that you can dig in and find out about your local air. So, so what, lung, one more time, lung.org slash S-O-T-A and for state of the air. And once they get there, then they can do the, the dig down to do the county Yep, you can up. enter your zip code and it'll take you right there. I'm going to try really hard to figure out how to get this on our website. <laughs> Thank you for telling. Go ahead. Happy to help. So a couple of big top-level findings that we found. One is that more than four in 10 Americans live in counties that had unhealthy levels of ozone or particle pollution. That is 41.2%. That's more than 137 million people living in areas that got at least one F grade for air pollution. And then the report also looks at three specific measures. So we look at ozone pollution, we look at spikes in particle pollution, and we look in the day-in, day-out annual level of particle pollution. And then we can dive into this a bit later, but you know these pollutants are both harmful to health, and they're harmful both in the short term and over time. So that's why we use those two measures. Let me just ask something about, just really quick about what you said to get a little bit more clarity. It's not that the county or the place gets one letter grade, they get several letter grades, is that what you're yes. saying? 
Everybody okay. gets, well, everyone gets three grades if they're okay. monitors for all three things. So the three okay. grades that your county may have when you, when you look up your zip code are a grade for ozone pollution. So that looks at the number of days that the ozone levels made it unhealthy to breathe. There's a letter grade for short-term particle pollution. So that's the number of days in which particles spiked, making it unhealthy. Mm. And then there's also a third grade, and that's actually a pass-fail for how the annual level of particles, so the level of particle pollution over time, matches up with what's healthy to breathe. You said every location may not be able to, because they probably don't have equipment or whatever, to monitor all three. Correct. There are some places that may just monitor for ozone, some that may just monitor for particles. But again, we have you know, a good set of monitors nationwide that capture a big chunk of the population. So we are able to really dig in with that data. And another of the key findings that we saw is that nearly 9 million more people were impacted by unhealthy levels of those spikes in particle pollution than they were in last year's report. 9 million more people were impacted by deadly particle pollution spikes than last year's report. Oh, and that's I'll, quite a bit. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> okay. So here's where that's coming from. So the report actually looks at three years of data at a time. Um, and we use the three most recent quality-assured years of data from EPA to make sure that the data is fully vetted and sound. So this year's report actually covers 2018, 19, and 20. Now, a couple of big trends here. One is that I should say at the top, air pollution has gotten a lot better. So if you look on our website, you look at your metro area, you will likely see a trend chart that shows air pollution improving over time. This is great news. Mm -hmm. Thanks to the Clean Air Act, which is the law that has driven a lot of our nationwide progress, communities all over the country are much cleaner than they used to be. But there are a couple downsides. One is that climate change is actually making air pollution levels worse in some places. And two, there are a lot of communities that still have not been cleaned up. So, you know, we know that communities of color, communities of lower income are more likely to be located near a polluting source. And in a lot of cases, those communities are still waiting for some of those benefits of the Clean Air Act. I, and, and as you brought that up, I have was going to bring it up later on uh, based upon something else that I saw in the report. And, and so I want to make sure that we hit upon some people are experiencing better air quality. Some are experiencing worse air quality. But air quality doesn't stop at the border. And it's something that can change and move about over time. I finally figured that out <laughs> uh, in the summer or whenever that, I think it was last summer and the summer before, when on two or three occasions here in North Texas, we got this alert, ozone alert, but they told us specifically it was being caused by some kind of red dust coming from Africa. That's a long way to travel. Yes, you're exactly right. Air pollution does not stop at state or county or even country lines. So a big driver of that 9 million more people experiencing unhealthy particle pollution levels is from wildfires. And wildfires are made worse by climate change. So that's a big way that we're seeing climate change impact the results of this report, begin to undo some of that progress. But of course, you know, obviously that's enormously impactful if you're located near the site of the fire, but that pollution is... Oh, so if you're not. Right. Wildfire is focused spreading, you know, hundreds of miles from the source of the fire and affecting air quality all along the way. And I don't want to belabor too much wildfires, but again, we had a case in point here in North Texas, and I'm sure it's happening all over the country where the incidence and perhaps the frequency of wildfires is moving around. It's being affected by climate change. We had fires a few weeks ago in West Texas because it was so dry and it's so windy. 
it's been a lot windier than we typically have it because I know, you know, we all can look on TV and see that that's a big driver of the issues and problems in California. So about three or four weeks ago, we had this wind and they did, they had some thousands of acres that burned uh, here. And I suspect that that may be, and I know it could be, <laughs> and uh, happening in other places around the country. And that drives a lot of air pollution. Yeah, absolutely. I, I imagine many of those listening have lots of personal experience with what it's like to be forced to stay indoors on days with unhealthy levels of wildfires. Indeed. And so other major findings, though, you've kind of covered most of the, the major findings of the report. Yeah, so there, oh, there, I can always dig deeper. Uh, you'll have to stop me. <laughs> So uh, one of the things that we looked at is what, is what are the disparities that we're seeing? And so this year's report found that people of color were 61% more likely than white people to live in a county that got at least one failing grade and 3.6 times as likely to live in a county that got all Fs for their levels of air pollution. This is pretty Indeed. staggering. Yeah. yeah. Those numbers are not lying. We have a, a couple of minutes to go before the break. But I did want to ask you, too, I know you mentioned a number of them, but the, what are the categories of pollutants, and how do people most often come in contact with each of them, even though they're all around them? How do they know? Like if I walk out or into my backyard and I can say, oh, I'm being air polluted right now. <laughs> right, you may not. So the two we cover, so I'll dive into ozone first. So ozone, it's the same chemical that we have in the ozone layer, but ozone is good up high, bad nearby. So if it's in, you know, protecting us from the sun's rays high up, that's good. If it forms near the ground where we can breathe it, that is bad. Ozone is like a sunburn on your lung. It reacts with the lung tissue. It can cause breathing problems. It can give you an asthma attack if you have asthma. It can exacerbate lung or heart disease. You know, I think the challenge with ozone is that it is odorless and colorless. So you may experience some of those health harms right away, um, or you may not even realize you're being exposed if you don't have those immediate symptoms, even though the levels may be not quite so safe. And you want to tell people where ozone comes from? Yes. Ozone actually comes when emissions mix in the atmosphere. So ozone comes from emissions from um, vehicles, from um, some chemical solvents, from power plants. And because it's not formed directly, or excuse me, because it's not emitted directly, it's formed when those pollutants react. What that means is that ozone can show up many, many miles away from the sources of those pollutants. It also means that because those reactions have to happen in the presence of sunlight and heat, that the hotter it is, the more likely you are to see unhealthy levels of ozone. So Indeed. And we're going to go to break and, and, and continue that conversation. But ozone is what people are, are, are being exposed to every time they get in the car and stop at a stoplight or, or around that motor vehicle emission. And in the summertime, it seems like it's much worse uh, as well. So you, you can't escape it. We're all exposed to it and don't know it, see it, or realize it. We're going to be right back on the other side of the break with Laura K. Bender with the American Lung Association. And she's just making us all much smarter. Thank you. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. To today's show on Earth Day 2022, Investing in Our Planet. And we are back with Laura Kate Bender with the American Lung Association. Again, thank you, Laura Kate, for making time to be with us today. My pleasure. And so we were talking, I had asked you about the categories of pollutants and how we know when we're being exposed to 
some of these major ones. And you were talking about ozone, and we were just kind of wrapping our heads around, everybody's heads around the fact that, you know, when you're out in your car, stop at the stoplight in the summer, then you're being exposed to ozone. Now, you may well that, be. And where that level is, we do not know. And the other, so the other pollutant, um, of course, that the report covers is particle pollution. Particle pollution comes from a lot of the same sources, so power plants, industry, vehicles that burn gas or diesel. It also comes from combustion. So you mentioned earlier, burning stuff, bad for your health. This is a great example because Anything that burns, combust. Yes. As small as a cigarette to a diesel engine. Our unofficial moniker at the Lung Association is don't burn stuff. <laughs> yeah. That gets right to the point. And I like to like leave that because I wanted to... It's a very small thing that you can put in your head and it, it'll stay there because it doesn't take up much room, but it's very powerful. Don't exactly. burn stuff. Anything that burns is, is putting pollutants out into our air waves that are all around us. And that's, it shows up with particle pollution because not only does burning those fossil fuels in power plants or you know, vehicles or industrial sources drive particle pollution, but it's also emitted from wildfires, from other fires, and from wood stoves or biomass power plants. So really anything that's burning something, even if we don't traditionally associate it with, you know, the same level of pollution as a refinery or mm -hmm. a diesel truck or a natural gas power plant, you know, we can still see health harms from burning, you know, even wood stoves. Indeed. But what probably is causing more pollution all around us in terms of particle pollution, I think you mentioned is the wildfires. Talk about how that, the particle pollution from those fires can travel. Well, I am here in the uh, Washington, D.C. area, and mm -hmm. just in the last several months, this area saw unhealthy levels of particle pollution as a result of West Coast wildfires. Now, I'll say I'm originally from California. I've watched things dramatically change since I left home. You know, my, for example, my, my friend planned her wedding around what was likely to be wildfire season because she knew that there was a good chance it would have to be indoors. You know, my, my parents have to plan whether they're going to go out and garden or walk uh, based on what they think the air quality might be that day. It's significantly changing people's way of lives, this increase that we've seen in unhealthy levels of particles due to wildfire. It also impacts if you're going to go there on vacation. Absolutely. As <laughs> no, a person with asthma, I can say that it would significantly impact my vacation to have to go to a place where there were unhealthy levels of particles because of the nearby wildfire. And usually towards the beginning of our season here, which is like October, November, we usually have someone on from the American Allergies and Asthma Association. And, you know, we talk about if not asthma, then the allergies, because in many cases, if not most, things that uh, exacerbate asthma also exacerbate allergies because they are, you know, lung-related diseases. So it makes a difference. And that's what I want to move into talking to a little bit about uh, well, a couple of things. I want to talk about the health impacts, but before we leave this, let's talk about what exacerbates or what is causing this exacerbation or this worsening of air quality in our world. Well, I'll say, I'll say, first of all, I appreciate the reference to allergies because I, and I'm sure many listeners right now are definitely experiencing seasonal allergies at their peak. I also want to make a quick note that allergies are also made worse by climate change because climate change is changing the way um, that seasonal allergies, you know, the intensity of the pollen and the length of the season um, impact our health. So in terms of what's driving the trends that we're seeing, we know that climate change is making wildfires worse. We also know that there's some success here. I don't want to be all doom and gloom. We've actually seen um, enormous cleanup. And one of the ways that, that shows up in this year's report is where in the country is most affected. So when we started State of the Air, we saw a lot more of the most polluted cities in the east. 
those have shifted almost entirely to the western half of the country. Now, part of that is because wildfires have gotten worse and they've predominantly affected the western half of the country. But the other part is that we've cleaned up a lot of those big industrial polluters in the east. And so there is a success story there. We also saw that this year's report, although spikes in particle pollution were worse, fewer people were affected by episodes of unhealthy ozone levels. So there is a, there's a ray of hope. We know that climate change is likely to continue to make ozone worse overall. But at least for this year's report, um, it was a, a bit of a mixed bag as opposed to all bad. Indeed. It seems like, though, something's chasing us. You know, it's like as soon as you do better, you've got some things conquered, you're beginning to make progress, then here comes the, the acceleration of climate change. But we've learned a lot, and hopefully that will propel us forward as we move into climate change. You know, the, the work that we learned in terms of trying to do some things like corralling some of that industrial pollution. That's exactly right. And I, I do want to make the point that, you know, and it's a message of hope, is that, you know, we say that climate change is a health emergency, but addressing it as a health opportunity. Because if we have the will to act to reduce the sources of the pollution that drives climate change, whether it's, you know, a coal or a natural gas plant or a gas or a diesel vehicle, well, if we switch to clean, renewable, non-combustion sources for that electricity or that transportation, now we've solved the health impacts from air pollution at the same time. And I think that fits very well with this year's theme of invest in our planet. It's trying to take, like you said, going to the positive outcome. Just like you in, invest your money for retirement or invest in your kids or invest in, in relationships, you put in and you get something good outside. And so that's, I, I like that visual for Earth Day's theme of investing in our, in our planet. Now, Laura Kate, I want to turn now to talk about some health impacts. Again, our tagline is the healthy planet, healthy living, and that the two, the, the health of the planet, of course, and our health are just, you can't separate them. They're inextricably connected. So what are some of the most common health impacts and outcomes? in terms of lung disease, but I know you know others, in terms of, of air pollution. Absolutely. So for both ozone and particulate matter, we often say that anyone can experience health harm if the levels are high enough. We also say that someone in every family is at increased risk of even more health harms. And we can dive into those too. Um, but we're talking about kids, seniors, people with lung disease like asthma or COPD, people with heart disease. You know, those impacts can be a wide range, but, you know, we're talking about in the immediate term, breathing harm, um, asthma attacks, UPD exacerbations that can send people to the ER or the hospital, of course, premature death from a variety of causes, ties to cardiovascular harm. Over the long term, there are actually there's a strong association between exposure to these pollutants and poor birth outcomes. So we've actually, um, for the first year, we have added pregnant people as a population at risk to the report. And then over the long term, we also know that there can be long-term damage to lung function. For example, kids who are exposed to ozone over time um, have a risk of having you know, lower lung function over the course of their lives than they might have otherwise. The other big one that I'll note here is that particle pollution actually causes lung cancer. It is a carcinogen classified by the World Health Organization. I saw that many times. In this work, we have to say that something leads to or that something exacerbates or that something may cause or whatever. And I just I noted that in your report when I was uh, reviewing the summary that, you know, you came out very forthright and said particle pollution causes lung cancer, the particulates. Yep. Yes, the WHO said it, so we, we, we have said it too. <laughs> and I should note too, you know, 
our report, in addition to those letter grades and the rankings, um, we also include estimates of those population service for every county. So whether or not your county has a monitor, we still include estimates of the people that are at greater risk. So again, mm -hmm. kids and adults with asthma, people under 18 and over 65, and including people of color and people living in poverty, because we both know that both of those groups are disproportionately likely to be exposed. When you say estimates, is that estimates of numbers of people, or you just say these are the particular people who are, who are vulnerable within your area? We have estimates of the numbers at the county level. Oh, my goodness. Well, can you give us an example or anything that you have handy or comes to mind? Anything in North Texas, like Dallas County? <laughs> I sure can. Dallas County, um, and I'll just give you the rundown of the results. So Dallas okay. County, um, the Dallas metro area, excuse me, was ranked. Right. That's like nine. Yeah, that's like nine or 13 counties. That's really, it's all North Texas. It's a big area. Do it like but yes, so that, that metro area was ranked the 16th most polluted for ozone. That's a little bit worse than last year. Uh, last year was yeah. 17th most polluted. So in that Dallas metro area, we are talking about more than 2 million kids, a million people 65 and over, 142,000 kids under 18 with asthma, 459,000 adults with asthma. You know, there's really clear numbers here that show that, you know, you can't necessarily know that every person is impacted on a given day with high levels of ozone pollution, for instance, but these are all people who are at greater risk. This is an enormous amount of people. Indeed. And um, as one of my other, again, the people who are on with me every year from the American Allergy and Asthma Association, and they, they talk about how many trips to the hospital that make, that means how much ER costs and things like that. Now, you mentioned uh, the vulnerable population, and they are the usual suspects, primarily low-income minorities, that bear the burden of most environmental as well as other societal ills. But can you just give an example of explanation to our listeners as to how and why these populations experience unhealthy air? And we're going to go to break and, and, and continue that conversation. We'll be right back with Laura Kate Bender from the American Lung Association in just a minute. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DYI classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non mercury, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindsdentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio to today's show on Earth Day 2022, the theme of which is investing in our planet. And today we are talking with Laura Kate Bender from the American Lung Association, and she's telling us about their annual State of the Air Report 2022. And it's very exciting because there's been some good news. 
been some bad news too, but it's 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 still exciting because there is good news that shows we have made progress, and most of all, that we can make progress. However, we acknowledge and know that we have climate change chasing us and nipping at our heels. So thank you so much for being with us, Laura Kay. This is your first time, but we are very privileged to every year and every season we have someone from the American Lung Association. I'm excited to be here. Now, as I was about to ask before the break, we, you mentioned the vulnerable populations and who they are, you know, typically low-income and minority. But we were talking, too, how lately there are some other populations that are being added to that, uh, notably children and perhaps some others on their, on their heel. But I wanted you to talk to our listeners in terms of connecting the dots for them as to why they must care that these vulnerable populations bear the brunt of our air quality problems. In other words, connect the dots for listeners as to how it does affect them, even though they may not be part of that population or those populations. We like to say that at least someone in every family is at increased risk of harm from air pollution. Kids, we know that they're still developing. Their lungs are still developing. They breathe more air compared to their body size. They spend more time running around outdoors. So they are certainly at increased risk. Once you hit 65 and older, we use that as a population at risk because normal changes in your body's function and your lung function makes you more susceptible. Of course, anyone with chronic disease like heart or lung disease is going to be at increased risk. And then, as you mentioned, you know, we know that uh, being of low income means that you may live closer to a polluting source. And we know that even when you separate out income differences, people of color are more likely to live near polluting sources due to the racist history of redlining. We also know that problems compound. So if you are in a population that's underserved and you have less access to quality and affordable health care or other health indicators, that, you know, the, the impacts of unhealthy air can actually add on and pile on some of the harm from those other impacts. And I think we really saw that with COVID-19. A lot of the populations that were worst hit had a lot of underlying, you know, additional disadvantages that really piled on. Yeah, I really feel like COVID-19 and the pandemic, the lockdown and all its attendant features was a watershed event or occurrence in terms of allowing people to see how we're all in this together, for lack of a better cliche. You know, as it began to hit those vulnerable populations, then the ripple effect happened and is still happening in, say, uh, grocery store attendants, people to work in restaurants, open up coffee shops. All of us, in some way or the other, have been inconvenienced or, or worse. In some cases, we can't get what we need uh, and are paying much higher prices because of that. Maybe it's trickle-up effect <laughs> as opposed to trickle-down effect. Because it was mainly those at the lower level are probably a, a great deal of that. What do they call them? The quit generation or that, that generation that realizes that they can and should be doing better. That, that part of that population where people can't find enough workers. And that's affecting all of us. So we have to care uh, about what happens to them, irrespective. And that's why, just like I said, COVID was a watershed occurrence in terms of maybe just making people say aha to that. So we're excited, and I know that's probably reflected in your report, but let me ask you, what do you see, how are you seeing air quality specifically affected by COVID? It's a good question, and the answer is not really a lot. 
Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so this report is the first state of the year to cover 2020 and stay-at-home orders for the first part of the year. We did not see a significant difference in air pollution levels that we could tie back. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. You know, one, the report's over a three-year period. So, you know, it's precisely for that reason. We want a good, steady picture of air quality, and we don't want it to be influenced too heavily in any given year. We really want to get, you know, a good overall measure of how people are being exposed to air pollution. But the other thing I'll highlight here is that, you know, while I was certainly, you know, I had the privilege to work from home, so I wasn't getting in my car as much, but we also started ordering a lot more stuff online. And that means that there was a lot more traffic at places like ports, shipping and distribution centers, delivery vans going out. You know, there are certainly air quality implications of that. And I think, you know, people <laughs> listening who live near a port or a warehouse or, you know, any place that is experiencing a lot of truck travel or other, other sources of pollution from shipping is really experiencing that. It really just shifted. That means to some degree that the burden is shifting. That's another thing I wanted to talk about. It's like, okay, you may be in pristine air quality right now, but that can change over time. It absolutely can. And I think the wildfires are a perfect illustration of that. Exactly. You know, hearing anecdotally from people who chose, you know, what they perceive to be a, a <laughs> a remote place to live with clean, crisp air, you know, they're experiencing catastrophic wildfires at a rate that they never imagined in many cases. Indeed, and they, there's predictions that perhaps more of that is coming. Our second month of shows of every season is about extreme weather events. And in there, we cover wildfires. And, you know, all of the, everybody says, the experts, that it's, it's more coming for us. And we've talked to people from Australia and New Zealand, and it's really impactful in many of those places beyond what we can even imagine. And so really, as somebody said, too, the wildfires are democratizing air pollution. It makes sense. Like you said, it doesn't respect state lines, doesn't respect county lines, or even international lines. Now, Laura Kate, I want to say, what are the commonalities and what are some of the worst counties or areas, metro areas, in terms of unhealthy air? And why is that? Well, I will, I'll read you the list of the five dirtiest okay. cities for each of our measures. And I think the okay. commonality will be pretty clear. So the okay. five dirtiest cities for ozone, Los Angeles metro area, Bakersfield, Visalia, California, Fresno, California, and then Phoenix, Arizona. So four of the five most polluted places for ozone are in California. The five dirtiest cities for short-term particle pollution, Fresno, California, Bakersfield, California, Fairbanks, Alaska, San Francisco Bay Area, California, and Redding, California. Now, two things I want to ask a pin, and they are short-term, those daily spikes. So how many days were there spikes in particle pollution as opposed to that annual average level? Okay. And I guess that's wildfire country over there? It is. And then, you know, California also has a history of unhealthy levels of air pollution from a variety of sources. You know, it has a lot of traffic, a lot of geographical features that trap yeah. air pollution. So it's not... The mountains, yeah. You know, the Los Angeles metro area has been number one for ozone in all, I think, but one year of doing this report, if I remember correctly. So it's, you know, it's not news. They're, they work hard to clean it up. So the, the rankings are by no means a measure of the state or locality's efforts through this I, air pollution, but it is a, a Western-dominated list. And as you, as you explained that, it, it, it dawns on me that the, the geography exacerbates the wildfire particulates because they've got kind of like those, that ridge of mountain that can trap. And so the smoke is going on everywhere. And I'll also note, you know, Fairbanks, Alaska, that takes some people by surprise. 
Alaska certainly experiences wildfires, but that's also showing up a bit of wood smoke pollution or wood stove pollution, rather. You know, heavy wood stove use really does pollute the air with particulates, and it is a health risk. Indeed. And and so I want to, before we go, we only have about three minutes left to, to uh, have a conversation with you, Laura Kate. But I, so I want to talk um, in these last uh, few minutes more about health impacts and consequences, because, you know, that affects all of us or somebody that we know. So how many people, and you may have stated this earlier in the beginning, but so I want to reiterate it. How many people in the U.S. and in the world, if you know, have health impacts from air pollution I'm actually going to highlight the global number because I haven't had a chance to mention it yet, and I know you have listeners outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. There's a separate report called the State of Global Air. It's not affiliated with us, but we love it. We love to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, that looks at the worldwide impact of air pollution. Now, what they found um, is their most recent report found that 6.67 million deaths worldwide are attributable to air pollution. Now, that air pollution encompasses two things. It encompasses the outdoor ambient air pollution, like the kind we've been talking about. It also encompasses household air pollution. So, for example, if you cook over a cook stove that burns fuel, wood or other fuel, that's an additional enormous health risk. And so that looks at um, health impacts from, you know, death from COPD, diabetes, heart disease, lung cancer, you name it, also highlights the, um, the impact uh, on newborns. You know, it's a pretty devastating set of numbers, but the the ray of hope there is that household air pollution has actually gone down since their last measures. And so there is a good story to be told here globally that, you know, polluting cook stoves, um, a source that we don't really see much of in the U.S., but that is a predominant source of air pollution worldwide, that got a little better. Indeed. And I, I would love to ask you more about that, but we don't, don't have but one minute. And so I give you the last word, Mary-Kate, for one minute. What can people do, ordinary people in everyday lives, what, what are some of the best things they can do uh, to protect themselves and their health from unhealthy air-related issues and disease? Three things. Um, and, of course, they should start by going to lung.org SOTA. Number one, they should check their air quality. Go to airnow.gov if you live in the U.S., and you can get the air quality forecast and plan your activities accordingly. Number two, you can reduce your own contributions to air pollution by reducing your energy use, choosing alternatives to driving a gas-powered car, um, not burning wood or leaves. But then finally, we call on everybody to engage in advocacy. This is a problem that requires solutions at every level, not just the personal level. And so we really need to call for strong protections federally, at the state and territorial and tribal level, and locally against air pollution. And you can do that at lung.org SOTA. Thank you. Anywhere that any body will listen to them. They need to be talking about it. Thank you so much. We have been with Laura K. Bender, a vice president for Healthy Air with the American Lung Association. And she has made us smarter today. And we really appreciate you taking time to be with us, Laura K. Thank you. Thanks so much. And thank you for listening to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplace, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is the result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day like yourself. And each of these tiny acts can seem in and of themselves insignificant, but all of them add up one way or the other to the change we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you, and listen in again next week for more Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. Thank you.